0: Michael Imperioli, so cool to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: When The Sopranos ended in 2007, did you think that 13 years later, not only are you gonna still be talking about it, but there'd be a new generation of fans rediscovering it?
1: No, you can never predict anything like that. Cause most most shows don't have that kind of uh, longevity, you know, and relevance to further generations, you know, so, and yeah, it's uh yeah. very been very surprising, but very pleasant. I mean, I think it's a testament to how good the show is really more than anything.
0: Well, it's really interesting. Cause I was listening to your podcast talking Sopranos, which we'll talk about in a sec, but I don't know if it was yourself or Steve who mentioned that the Sopranos wasn't just a TV series. It was an 86 hour long film. Is that how you feel about it?
1: Um, not necessarily, because watching it, it's, um, you can see, like, how episode to episode are sometimes very drastically different in tone and stuff. Um, yeah. Some episodes are much more, like, just story-driven and plot-driven. Some are just, you know, have longer, less, you know, plot, 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 and just kind of longer moments. and And they differ, you know, depending on the nature of the script for that episode and, and the director, which is why it's really good. I think what it, what it did do related to film is that it brought cinematic qualities to television that hadn't really been uh, shown before on TV. You know, P, you know, P, the Sopranos, I think, brought what people would go to the movies for, brought that into people's homes. You know?
0: Did you know you were onto a winner? when you like you filmed the pilot in I think it was the summer of 97 and it didn't go to air to 99 but when you were filming the pilot you go mm, this this is something different it's something special
1: um I thought it was good I liked it I liked the cast I like the you know I thought it was clever I mean you can't tell from the pilot how you know how complex and interesting the show is eventually going to be I mean because it goes off in so many different it unfolds in such a deep, complex way over the course of the next 84 episodes. Um, and it's hard to really see that potential just in the pilot, but for a one hour piece of television, it was very good. It was very funny. The cast was great, but it was on cable and there weren't weren't really many shows on cable. And certainly there weren't any hits. Mm. So I didn't, um, I thought it was, Good, I didn't have, I, honestly, I didn't have that m- much high expectations for it. When it got picked up, because the pilot didn't air, right? You, you do the pilot, then they decide if they want to make a season. Nobody sees the pilot except for the produ- you know the network. So then when it got picked up, we started shooting season one, the rest of season one, the next summer. That's when I really knew. When script after script kept getting better and more intricate and more complex and and, You know, it just uh, more surprising and it just kept getting better and better. And then I was like, this is really special. Whether or not it'll be a hit is still another story because like I said, it was a cable show, but I knew it was definitely something special.
0: And is that where you went, thank goodness for my sliding doors moment, because you really did have a sliding doors moment where, you know, you were offered the part of Christopher and you were also thinking about taking, you know, on your bucket list was to work with Woody Allen And at the same time, as life would always have it, two big opportunities come your way. Had you gone a different direction, life could have been completely different. How did you decide that, you know what, I'm gonna put all my heart and effort into this role of Christopher?
1: Well, I mean, when it came down to those two things, it was do the pilot of a show that may not go on the air, right? Because there's a good chance you do a pilot, no one ever sees it, doesn't go on the air you know, or work with a, you know, established director whose work I had always admired. Um, It really came down to the role because the role of Christopher was, you know, the role in the Woody Allen movies was not much and it was very small and it was, you know, there wasn't much on the page, although he does a lot of improv, but it wasn't like a lead in a Woody Allen movie. If it was, I probably would have taken it. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: So it really came down to the part so, and luckily, the part in The Sopranos was much bigger and much better.
0: And it was an amazing part. Um, I had a real love-hate relationship with Christopher, and I think the most shocking moment for me, and it's funny because all these years later, I don't want to talk about spoilers, right? Because you'd think we could give everything away, but people are still rediscovering The Sopranos, and I don't want them, I suppose I don't want to take from the shock, but I'm so I'm just going to call it the Adriana moment. When Christopher had that Adriana moment, how did you feel about? How did you feel about him?
1: Um, it's hard to say because I didn't really look. You don't really look at how I feel about him. It's like trying to. How I feel to the circumstances, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not that removed. You try not to be that removed from him. You're trying to understand the circumstances, which are. The circumstances are very high stakes there. It's, you know, life and death, you know, the, the life, as you know, it is g- completely altered from that moment on and never be the same again. So trying to really tap into that.
0: Yeah. That's the thing with the Sopranos as well. Cause like on the surface, it's a mob story, it's violence, but I think it's longevity is, it was more than that, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, it was much more just about human nature um, than anything else. And, and uh, the intersection and interaction between human beings, in, you know, either in family or in close friendships or in business and things like that. and um, it, Trying to unravel the mystery of why it's so successful is very hard, you know. Um, when when we announced we were doing the podcast, David Chase called me and was, you know, was asking me about it. And, and I was saying, you know, the the show, is like you said, is, has gotten really popular when the younger people, late teens and 20s, and he was like, why do you think that is? And I just said, you know, not to be flippant, but it's just very, very good. Yeah. It's really well written, it's really well acted, and it's really well, great filmmaking. And it's a great piece of art, and people respond to it, you know? So I, I, I can't, it's hard to just kind of isolate. It's the mob thing, the family, I, you know, it's somewhat mysterious, you know?
0: So how did talking Sopranos come about? Why did you and Steve think that this is the perfect time for it to happen and go into the podcast territory?
1: Yeah. Well, it wasn't our idea. Um, we were approached by uh, a couple of, I had done a few podcasts as a guest. Yeah. And some people started talking about maybe you should do a podcast. And then some three different producers approached Steve and I to do a Sopranos podcast. There was that Office Ladies podcast about, you know, um, two of the actresses from the show, The Office, the, the American Office, uh, and it was very successful. So a lot of people had the idea oh, series rewatch podcast. So, and Steve and I had done a show live show called Conversations with the Sopranos Steve myself and Vinny Pastor did it around the US we last year went to Australia we were supposed to go to the UK and Ireland this year got canceled and that was like an inside the actor studio showing clips interviews on we get interviewed on stage we take questions so it's kind of similar not not a rewatch kind of thing and Steve and I are good friends so people knew that so they approached us and we picked one producer who, you know, we thought we'd really get on with. And we were supposed to shoot it live together in a studio in New York at the end of March. And then in the middle of March, everything changed, you know, quarantine happened. And we weren't going to do it at all. Why is that? Well, we felt a little like, you know, when the quarantine hit and the, and, and the pandemic started, it was very depressing and very dark and sad. And we were like, this is, this is kind of tone deaf. We're going to do a podcast in the middle of all this. I mean, what are we thinking? Let's just wait till it's all over. But we had announced it already in the press. So we started getting letters and, uh, you know, emails and direct messages on Instagram and stuff. It's like, where's the podcast I'm in quarantine, binge watching the show. I want a lot of that. Yeah. So the producers found a way for us to do it in quarantine and, uh, you know, I guess it was like, then we were like, all right, if people really want that, if it's going to kind of take their mind off of, you know, the darkness of the time for two hours, why not? And that's, what, that's how it happened.
0: Well, because it is really interesting. I've started listening to the podcast myself and it is really interesting to listen, to watch the episode and then listen back and you feel like you're getting the inside knowledge from the cast themselves. But then what's it like for you to revisit these episodes all these years later?
1: Well, I haven't watched them since they really initially aired Uh, for a number of reasons. I watch less and less of my own stuff as I get older. And I don't know, I just, just how I I, I just choose not to, I don't know why, but, and also when I watch something, that's it. I don't need to rewatch it. I need, I'm not someone who really likes to look back into the past and stuff. I kind of try to stay in the moment or look toward the future, but, um, it 's been really cool to go back and have to pay a lot of attention to it because we 're talking about it in depth um, and to be reminded of and 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 to have some perspective and realize why it was so good and and how well well it was made because in the middle of it you know when you 're watching it you 're still shooting it you 're caught up in all of it and there's there 's a lot of different um, you know, I guess different perspective you have because when, when it's immediate and you're involved in it and, and you have, your mind is caught up with different aspects of the show and, and with distance, you kind of just watch it as a show in a way. And uh, it's been a pleasant experience. It's bittersweet because some of the uh, people both in front of and behind the camera are gone, you know, most notably Jim Ganolfini, but um, I'd say it's more sweet than bitter.
0: Can we go back to the beginning? So back to the time when you got the role of Christopher and I've heard you say that you've modeled, you modeled him on someone you knew, but he yeah. had no idea. Does he really still have no idea that it's modeled on him?
1: Probably not. I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's, you know, because it's not a literal, I'm not imitating him. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's more, there's something in the this person's energy that, I found kind of similar and his story is not exactly Christopher. So I doubt he knows and uh, I'll never admit it. Or even if he brought it up or tell any, I haven't told anybody.
0: Really? That's something that you'll take with you?
1: Probably. <laughs> um, Unless he dies first. Maybe. And, then, and then, and
0: then you've got free reign. You can go out there and let everybody know. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's the type of person that might ask me for like a percentage of the money I've earned playing, you know, using him as some kind of base or something. So I don't know.
0: Keep it to yourself, Michael. <laughs> keep it to yourself. Um, What I don't want you to keep to yourself is I want to hear more about the table reads because they seemed so special. Um, for anyone who doesn't know a table read is when the whole cast come together and read through the script. Like that had to be an amazing moment because like in a show like this, it's such an ensemble cast. And just because you're on the screen together, it doesn't mean you're actually sharing scenes together. So were those moments one of the highlights of filming?
1: Well it was fun because a lot of us didn't work in scenes often together. Like I always worked with Jim and Tony Sirico and Stephen Van and, and Johnny Matteo. but then I, ne- I hardly ever worked with, I, I never worked with Lorraine, hardly ever worked with Edie really and the kids unless it was some kind of party at the house or something like that or Nancy Marchand and or even uh, Dominic. I didn't work m- much with Dominic. Um, so the table reads, you know, was a chance for us to get together every couple of weeks as a team and have lunch and read the script and, and have a few laughs. And, and I think it was nice because some, you know, some of the shows you'd have a guest who just came on for one show and for them it was a nice experience to feel, you know, cause it's, it's hard when you, as an actor, you walk on as a guest spot, or as a day player, show that's already been running and everybody knows each other, the cast and crew are like a family. It's three, four years into the run and you just show up to do a part. And it's intimidating and it's uncomfortable. It's like the first day of school and all that. So the table reads for the people who weren't regulars I think was a good experience because it gave them a chance to like ease into it and feel a part of it and, and, and get a sense of the vibe before they just showed up on set to work.
0: I know this sounds very corny, but you really were like a family. You guys tended to hang out after hours as well. Did you have a bar at the time? And so after- Yeah, my
1: wife and I owned a bar at the time where we hung out and there were several places where we'd go. Well, a lot of us knew each other already before the Sopranos. See, that's why, one of the reasons why it, um, the Italian American acting community in New York is pretty small, actually. Um, So a lot of us had known each other, and some of us had gone to acting school. I went to acting school as a teenager with John Ventimiglia, Sharon Angela, and then I knew Vinnie Pastore, I knew Tony Sirico, I knew Catherine Narducci, I knew Annabelle Sciorra, Edie Falco, uh, Dominic, I mean, I knew a lot of these people. Um, and the ones we didn't know we just you know it, the other thing is to be working on something you're really proud of and to experience this success together because most of us were kind of in the same place career-wise like Edie and Jim and myself uh, you know and uh, we had done work we had done some movies we had done little parts and big movies we had done indie movies and theater we weren't really known to the public per se the only one really that was a star was Lorraine she had been nominated for an Oscar for Goodfellas and had done some really big movies after that, but um, pretty much everyone else were like working New York actors. So to have this big success together, you know, was a real bonding experience, you know.
0: Is that what makes it really special? The fact that yes, you're on an amazing show, but you were able to share this success with your mates at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons, and that we were doing something we felt was really good and we were proud of. Um, And, you know, uh, I've had a lot of experiences working with friends in theater and independent film particularly. I still do that. And I've always done that since I started. When I was in my 20s, I started producing theater with people in my acting school. A lot of those people I still work with and I produce independent film and directed film or built a theater. So I've worked with a lot of some of those soprano people and some who are not, but I've had that experience, but to have it on like a major TV show, a major film, I don't know if I'll have that again.
0: Do you remember when you thought this is it, it's actually making an impact? Like what changed?
1: It was when, when it went on the air and the reviews came out, the reviews, kind of forced the fans to watch the people public to watch because the reviews were so, I've never seen such wall to wall, great reviews for a television show. And to the point where that, you know, like the New York times said it may be the greatest work of pop culture in the 20th century, like stuff like that, like ridiculously over the top. And that, and then I was like, oh, wow. Well, something's going to happen from that. I mean.
0: What was it like living through that heyday? Like. it it was really popular. I read, you know, there were during your table reads, which we mentioned, there were press trying to sneak in to find out what was going on. I'm sure fans were lining the blocks and stuff To What was that like living that?
1: Um, You know, to be honest, I think that, I think it's more popular now than it was then. I think more people actually watch the show now. Yeah. I mean, when it was on originally about 11 million people had HBO, If you look at the numbers of people who stream it regularly now and stuff, I I would think it's much higher. I get recognized way more now than I did when the show was on.
0: When they recognize you, what's the single most question that people want to ask you?
1: I don't know. Can I take a selfie? (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, at least.
0: What about when you do those tours? I love, like, we are bummed out here in Ireland that you're not, com- I, I know you will reschedule, but when hopefully you Hopefully it'll be, be
1: the, in May or June. Um, yeah.
0: I'm saying 2021, I'm putting it all out there, Michael, you will hopefully be back on these shores. But what do people want to know when, you know, besides to take a selfie, which is really sad that the, we've gotten to that moment because it's great to be able to have the conversations. So when you are having those conversations, what are people wanting to know about your experience?
1: I mean, most people ask about the ending and where's the Russian; those two things.
0: Well, I was going to say because the ending (laughs) that was on my list of things I wanted to know, because at the time the ending was quite controversial in that not everybody loved the way it ended.
1: No, I wanted a closure, a Hollywood ending, you know, and that's not what David was ever about. If you look at a lot of the storylines, they didn't always offer closure. For instance, two of the most, the biggest, besides the ending, the Russian who gets, you know, this big episode of us searching for this Russian guy who's lost in the woods, and we don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he <laughs> lives, dies, or what. This incredibly important plot point that never gets resolved. The other one was Employee of the Month is that episode when Melfi gets uh, sexually assaulted, raped, and and... I think a lot of people thought, oh, Tony's gonna come to the rescue and you know, get revenge and take care of this guy so justice is served. And that never happened. You know, I mean, and that's and again, that's David's way. I think in some ways, David feels like, well, life doesn't always resolve itself in these neat little story arcs. Yeah. You know, yeah. that you know, life doesn't often wrap up at the end of an hour. And I think he felt he wanted to bring that to the, to, you know, as the end of the show that, you know, life goes on.
0: And it's so funny. It's almost like when we get a chance to sit with it, we're fine. Because at the time, the first time I watched the ending, I went, You're kidding me. I've invested all this time and that's what you're giving me. And I was a bit, I felt a bit ripped off. But the more I think of it, the more I think that was actually the perfect ending. David knew what he was doing, as you said.
1: You know, what ending would have been satisfying to people? To see Tony kill Phil Leotardo or kill his enemies or to see Tony get murdered in front of his... You know what I mean? It's like no. there's no... In some ways, it's actually kind of threading the needle and, and you know, and, and in a brilliant way.
0: When you look back on that time, what do you think?
1: I'm very proud of what we did. I had, a, I mean, I remember, you know... I feel very, very far away from it, that's for sure. Really? Oh yeah, it seems like you know a hundred years ago. Actually, seems really far away. <laughs> the character and the working on it—I mean—just it seems so distant. Um, but I'm um, very happy I got to be a part of it. That's for sure.
0: Well, we're happy that we actually we get to rewatch it now, and we get to listen to all the bits that we may not have known on your podcast, "Talking Sopranos." Michael Imperioli, so fabulous to chat to you. Thank you for taking the time.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me today.
0: And hopefully June, May or June, we will see you on these shores.
1: Yeah, we're excited.